Greetings, brethren, all around the world. It's very good to be with you at this opening night for the Feast of Tabernacles 2012. Welcome especially to you newer brethren. Many of you have not kept the Feast of Tabernacles before. Perhaps some of you have just kept it for a year or two, but we're very grateful to have you with us and to understand the meaning of this feast and the meaning of God's plan. It's certainly a very important thing. We hope all of you can understand the plan of God, every one of us, and the tremendous purpose that He is working out here below. And these feasts picture His plan, and they help us worship Him. For brethren, we are pioneers. Mr. Armstrong used to say that. We are still pioneers very, very much when you think about it, because within the next number of years, perhaps even 10 or 20 years, billions of people and I am not exaggerating, literally billions of human beings will begin to join us in keeping these festivals because the whole world will keeping, be keeping these festivals that God has ordained. And you know that, but we need to review that and understand how real this is if we believe what's in the Bible, in the Word of God. True Christianity ought to be based upon the Bible. Most of the time, the people that call themselves Christians don't understand they're blinded out there, but we've got to preach the gospel to them, at least as a witness, and God commands us to do that, and we certainly want to do that, but we can be here in this festival to worship among ourselves before the God of creation, our Father in heaven, and worship Him in spirit and in truth, and this word is truth, as Jesus has said, and we need to follow what's in this word, the Holy Bible. Turn with me, brethren, to Zechariah chapter 14 in your Bible. I enjoy starting with this. I hope it doesn't bore any of you because it's magnificent when you think about it. Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Here God tells us, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So he's going to gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. He's not talking about some small thing. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Christ's feet will come back to that big hill out east of Jerusalem. I have stood on that hill a number of times. Some of you have as well. He is coming, and He is coming soon. And boy, we can be grateful for that, to look forward as we see, see this election coming apart in Egypt, even as I speak, as we see the problems in Syria and Assad and his regime butchering their own people by the thousands and by the tens of thousands, as we see other people being tortured and hurt all over this world and the nations of this world coming apart. We know that Christ must come back to this earth. If there is a real God and this Bible is His inspired Word, that will happen. And we can help prepare the way. And we can be blessed forever because we've been part of the very work of God that's preaching this message to the world. Christ is coming as King of kings and He has a government. And we must learn that government today and follow that government. So He's coming back. And in that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Then it says in verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. He's not going to be up in heaven. He's coming back to this earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. There won't be different ideas of God. It will be the God of the Bible and the Jesus Christ of the Bible. 
Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and that's virtually all the nations of the world, so here they are, shall, they shall go up, all the nations, from year to year, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Brethren, please understand, many of the people in this world who think they're Christians, they think somehow the Jews are going to keep it. No, it's not just the Jews. It's the whole world. All the world is going to keep, it says. They're not going to watch the Jews keep. They will keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The Russians, the Chinese, the Germans, everybody will keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. Oh, they'll make fun of it at first. They have this carnal attitude. You know how they argue today. They're going to be much more humbled when every mountain and every island is shaken out of its place as God comes back in the person of Christ and shakes this world. People need to be shaken. And He will give them a good shaking, yet still will be carnal. And they'll argue at first and say, well, that's Jewish. No, everyone who doesn't keep the Feast of Tabernacles, rain will not come on them. And if the family of Egypt will not go up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They'll say, oh, that's a Jewish feast. God will say, no, it's my feast. The feast of the eternal God of creation, the God that gives us life and breath. It's His feast, brethren, and let's worship Him during this period of time and know that Christ is coming soon and we're preparing the way. We're pioneers. Let's get ready. Let's be grateful for that calling that we have. So if they don't come up, they will have no rain, and then they shall receive the plague so he'll add to the no rain plague. He'll get their attention with which the Lord strikes the nations, not just Egypt, all the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep, not to watch the Jews keep, but they shall keep. The whole world shall soon keep this feast, the Feast of God that we're beginning to observe this night this is a special place. God has placed His name where you are right now. He's guided us, His servants, to choose these places as best we can with God's help. And God does guide us in this. He will set His Spirit. He will set His name on these places. He will pour out His Spirit here. We're here to worship our Creator. We're here to worship our Father. Let's think about that as this feast begins and worship Him and rejoice that we're called out ahead of time. I know many of you, brethren, have had to leave families, leave jobs, leave situations back home. Worship God in this place and know it's not going to be long. As that old song we have in our hymn book says, it won't be long now. Thank God He is coming and He is coming soon. Turn to John now, the, chap the seventh chapter, John chapter 7. This shows the example of Jesus Christ. Here are all these Protestants out there saying, oh, we just got to love Jesus. And we've got to reflect Jesus Christ. Okay, let's do worship Jesus. Let's do reflect Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Here's his inspired example. John 7, verse 1, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. He was not just doing what the Jews taught. He was the Son of God setting us an example, and they were trying to kill him. So he did not want to walk in Judea at this time. Now, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. 
He didn't follow all their customs. Read, you know, Matthew 19 and other places. He condemned them for their traditions of men, but he did follow them in the way they did follow God, and they at least kept the right feasts. They didn't keep them all at the right time and the right way, but they did keep them, and Jesus followed this example. His brothers said, go up. He said, no, it's not my time. For verse 5, even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said, my time has not yet come But your time, you're still in this world, he told them. Your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. And my brethren, we've got to testify to this world. We try to do it as best we can. We don't want to get thrown off of all of our TV stations by coming out too strong, but we've got to show the world they're sinning. Here even the president of the United States coming out saying it's okay for men to marry men. That's beginning to sweep across this nation. They're murdering millions and millions of little unborn babies. They talk about women's rights. Well, what about the rights of these little unborn girls? Do they have any rights? No, they'll crush their skull before they even are able to be born. That's the Christian world we're living in. It's not the world of God. It's not a true Christian world at all. God help us to wake up. We've got to help the world realize how wrong they are because they don't take literally this book. They don't keep this Feast of Tabernacles. They refuse to keep God's holy Sabbath day that pictures the true God, the creator God. Therefore, they come up with all these other concepts of God, all these other concepts of Christ, not the Christ of the Bible, but the Christ of their imaginations. Let's understand, even his brothers did not believe in him that Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testified that its works are evil. They certainly are. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast. He said, not yet. He wanted to go up quietly so they wouldn't catch him and kill him as he came. For my time has not yet fully come. So he said, you go up to this feast. Here was the son of God. Was he telling them to do something they shouldn't have done? Of course not. They should have gone up to keep the feast. And Jesus did go up. He went up later. He set us an example. So in verse 10, when his brothers had gone up, then he went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret, because he knew they were laying for him. He wanted to get there in the middle of the feast with the people watching him so the Pharisees and the others would be afraid to kill him lest the crowds turn on them. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So he began to teach during the Feast of Tabernacles, and he taught the people the way of God. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never learned? Well, he didn't learn their stuff. Many of us ministers in the living church of God, we don't sound like the Protestant ministers or Catholic priests with all kinds of oratory and referring to the ancient prayers of the ancient saints and other men of God as they call them back there, men who didn't keep God's laws at all. But we have studied the Bible. We get it from God. Jesus answered, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine whether it is of God or whether I speak on my own authority. No, we speak on the authority of the Bible. And God has backed us up and backed this work up. And most of you older brethren know, and I hope you newer brethren can learn, that so many big, huge, basic prophecies that God gave his servant, Mr. Armstrong, and that I myself have taught now, I can tell you by the time you've heard hear this sermon, 
over 60 years because I began to preach and teach regularly in the spring of 1952 when I graduated from Ambassador College, led out a nationwide baptizing tour, raised up the Church of God in San Diego, California in early September 1952, and later the port of the Seattle Church of God, the Seattle-Tacoma Church, later on that winter. I was preaching these things for 60 years, and we taught the fact that Germany would come back, that there would be a United States of Europe, We taught that the different sea gates that God gave our peoples, the British and American peoples, the sons of Joseph, the great Panama Canal, the Suez Canal, the Bab el-Mandeb at the southern entrance to the Red Sea, the Strait of Malacca, all those great important sea gates would begin to be taken away. And they have been, my brethren, you know that, affecting hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars in commerce that needed to pass through those gates. They have been taken away, and we do not control them anymore. Those are specific things that have happened, many other things. As you know, Mr. Armstrong taught back during the 1970s and 80s, the Berlin Wall would come down. Germany would become one. The nations of Eastern Europe would be free. How did he know that? The major newscasters, they did not know that. They were astonished. But he knew, because the Bible indicates there are going to be 10 nations in Europe get together. And he knew that had to include some of those Eastern European nations. And he said that again and again and again. And I did too. And those of us who were working closely with him, we taught that for decades. And that has happened. It happened after he died. He died in 1986. And that began to happen in late winter 1989 and on into 1990. One nation after another broke free from the Soviet Union and billions of people, dollars were included, I should say, of of commerce and of of weaponry in what happened back then. And certainly uh, many millions of people became free and God guided that. The great God guided these things affecting millions and millions of people in the lifetimes of many of you still living. And, of course, you younger people, some of you don't understand, but reveal it. God is real. The God of this work, the God of the church of God is real, and he has intervened, and he is intervening, and he soon will intervene, and Christ will come back to the Mount of Olives on this earth, and we will soon have people all over your area observing the Feast of Tabernacles. And you and I are pioneers now to help prepare the way for the coming government of God, the kingdom of God, and we're keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, or as it's called, called many times in the Old Testament, the Feast of Ingathering. Picturing the fast, there will be a great ingathering. Millions and finally billions of human beings will be gathered into the way of God, into the church of God, and then the knowledge of God will fill the earth as the waters fill the ocean beds, as it tells us in Isaiah 11 and elsewhere in the Bible. That will happen soon. This is the Feast of Ingathering as well as the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's understand God's plan. We are pioneers, and we're very grateful to be here. Christ kept this feast. That's real Christianity, the Christianity of the Bible, the Christianity of the real God. Let's turn now to Leviticus 23. And here, we turn here not because we follow every judgment or ordinance of the Old Testament, We do follow the statutes as they're expounded and explained in the New Testament, and the feasts are one of them. But 
it does list all seven here in this one chapter. That's the reason we turn. Leviticus chapter 23, God spoke to Moses. He said, The feast of the Lord, which you shall claim to be my feast, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, a holy convocation, a commanded assembly. So he first of all mentions the weekly Sabbath. Then he begins to mention the annual holy days. These, verse 4, are the feast of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times, or as the King James says, in their seasons, which really is a better translation. And God indicates that throughout the Bible and the plan he has. These are in their seasons because the feasts are planned according to the harvest seasons of Palestine. And it pictures God's spiritual harvest of souls, so to speak. On the 14th day of the first month, the twilight is the Lord's Passover. Not the Jews' Passover, but God's Passover, which we keep. The first part of God's plan is pictured, our acceptance of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then he says, on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the next thing in God's plan. We put leaven out, which pictures putting sin out of our lives, growing in grace and in knowledge. And that pictures the second part of God's plan. Then he starts explaining in verse 9 and at 10, they were to count 50 days. And he says in verse 15, you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, during the days of unleavened bread, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days. And they were to offer an offering. And of course, he says in verse 21, you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you you shall do no customary work. It shall be a statute forever. That is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th or count 50. Pentecost pictures that is also called the Feast of First Fruits, as you look it up in, throughout the Old Testament. And get our booklet, any of you new people, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. I wrote that booklet. I don't have time to give you that whole sermon here. It's in writing right there. The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. And of course, this picture is then the Feast of First Fruits, where God is calling out a first fruits. So, first you have the Passover, accept Christ, then days of unleavened bread. You grow in grace and in knowledge. You come out of sin, put sin out of your lives. All of us together who do that in this age become God's first fruits harvest, the early small harvest in the spring in Palestine. Then he describes the Feast of Tabernacles and the other feasts of the seventh month. He says in verse 424, In the seventh month, on the first day, you'll have a Sabbath of rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. Trumpets was used as an alarm of war. What's to happen? Beginning in that seventh month, the month of completion, you have then the beginning of world turmoil. We're entering that time now, war after war all over the world, people fighting each other, governments being overthrown. Even in our nation, things are gradually coming apart and people are going to be shaken till they don't know what's going on in a sense. You can know. Your neighbors will be disoriented, brethren, but you can know and understand. And even though there are a lot of trials around you, you can have a quiet confidence, a quiet peace. We know God. He's our Father. Christ is our elder brother, our high priest, our Savior. We love him. We worship him. We will be willing to do what he says. And we walk with Christ and walk with God. 
and having our hand in their hand, we walk right on over into God's kingdom. Let's understand that. We are the first fruits, but we're entering a time of war and terrible trouble. The alarm of war, trumpets, not the feast of the seventh trump alone, trumpets, all the trumpets. This time is pictured by the feast of trumpets beginning at the beginning of the seventh month. Then in verse 27, he says, On the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement or at one minute. It'll be a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls a day of fasting as we have just participated in that. And we fast before God. We humble ourselves and know the time is coming. We're going to be totally at one with God. This human flesh is not where it's at. We have got to become members of the family of God. We've got to be born of God and have a perfect spirit body given us to live forever and be totally at one with God after Christ come. That is pictures, of course, by the Day of Atonement, the day when Satan is banished and is put away so he does not deceive people anymore and the whole world can become at one with God. Then the next thing in God's plan is what we're doing right now. Verse 34 Speak to Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And he says then, You're to not do any customary work. And so this is the beginning of that day right now, brethren. A holy Sabbath to God, not to the Jews, but to God. And then verse 36, he said, On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation And he said, it is a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work on it. Verse 37, these are the feasts of the Jews. Hold on. Here's what it says. These are the feasts of the ever-living one, Yahweh, the one with life inherent in himself, the ever-living one, the eternal God, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Yes, they had the sacrifices given on all the holy days, the Sabbaths, even every day they had a morning and evening sacrifice. We don't do that. And God tells us that if you read what Christ did and you read the book of Hebrews. But we do keep the days as Jesus did, as Peter did, as Paul did, as the early church of God did. Read about it in my booklet on restoring original Christianity. Read about it in the booklet on the holy days, God's master plan. Down here on verse 39, notice, brethren, Verse 39, also on the 15th day of the seventh month when you've gathered in. Oh, I should go back and cover this. Verse 36, on the eighth day, the feast of ingathering pictures the time when the world's going to be full of the knowledge of God and the great harvest of souls takes place. Right after that is a solemn day on the eighth day picturing, as we see in Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, the last part of God's plan, which is absolutely magnificent. Even many of the Jewish people have been totally disoriented. They ask, well, where was God on the Holocaust? He let six million Jews be destroyed. Where is God? Okay, where is he? You need to understand the holy days, God's master plan. Then you'll understand God is giving this world 6,000 years to go its own way, to burn their fingers, to learn their lessons. That's why people went down on the Titanic that's why people went down in the Lusitania, in the Hollywood movies picture, where the it was, I think, supposedly a Catholic priest and a Protestant minister and a Jewish rabbi joined hands and held hands and prayed as they all went down. And they let the women and children get on board the, the lifeboats. There weren't enough lifeboats for everyone. And that was honorable. That's fine. 
men are not all bad. Many men and women out there are good people. They're just blind. They don't know. They tried to do good. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what people take. It's not all evil. It's a mixture of good and evil. But under the influence of Satan, the devil, they end up going the wrong way. So God allowed many to be destroyed in World War One, and World War Two, and all the other wars all over. Literally hundreds of thousands, and in the end, millions of people were destroyed in various wars. And maybe six million Jews were destroyed, about that number, in the Holocaust, and many others who were French and Dutch and Danes and Poles and Czechs and so on. Yes, God allowed that. Why? Because they were cut off from God and God will raise them up. And one of the most magnificent parts of God's plan, the Catholics don't understand it. The Protestants don't understand it. The Protestants claim to follow the Bible, but they don't. They don't understand. They're blind. This is a tremendous truth. Only the church of God has that last great day. We'll be hearing about that. And I'll be preaching to you about that on the last great day at the end of this festival how God is going to raise up every human being who's ever lived and give them a real chance, not a second chance, but a first genuine opportunity to really understand the purpose of human existence and to know the true God and to know the true Christ and fulfill their purpose and have a chance at eternal life in the kingdom of God, the family of God, and live forever. God's plan is wonderful The world does not understand, but you can understand. Now let's go down to verse 39 here. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days, and on the first day a Sabbath, and on the eighth day a Sabbath, that final last great day, picturing the great white throne judgment when God resurrects all who lived and died and never had a chance and gives them a genuine chance to be saved. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, leafy trees, trees, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. It's a time of rejoicing. So let's do rejoice, but let's rejoice spiritually too, not just in going out to restaurants, but to worship God, to love one another, to get better acquainted with different brethren here at this festival, to feed on God's Word, to feed on God's Spirit, and to say, we're the call out ones together and rejoice in that, brethren, to really understand the real meaning of this feast. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in all your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, temporary dwelling places. So you're dwelling in temporary dwelling places. And God guided his servant, Mr. Armstrong, to show us we can't all dwell in palm tree booze or palm leaves. We don't have those everywhere, but we do dwell. Fulfill it in the spirit today in that way that your generations may know that I have made the children to dwell in booze, temporary dwelling places, which we are now looking forward to the city, which has a foundation whose builder and maker is God. We are pilgrims today dwelling wherever we are in temporary dwelling places looking forward to the kingdom of God. And dwelling in these temporary dwelling places should help us picture that. So when you go back to your motel or your hotel or your cabin, your condo tonight, think about it. You're dwelling temporarily. Why? Because we're all temporary. We're strangers and pilgrims today in this physical flesh looking forward 
to being in God's kingdom, the family of God, the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. That's why we're here living in temporary dwelling places. I am the eternal, your God. So we need to think about it. We're here to worship that God and to learn the lessons he wants us to learn and the spiritual lessons of this wonderful Feast of Tabernacles and all of God's holy days. Turn with me now, if you would, to John chapter 6 in your New Testament. John chapter 6, brethren. And here is one of the most magnificent parts of the entire Bible, and I mean that. I can't say that about every part. They're all wonderful, but this is particularly rich. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 53, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Was he talking about cannibalism? Of course not. He was talking about literally saturating your being with the Word of God, the mind of God, and with Jesus Christ and His mind, His thoughts, His attitudes, His character. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And he didn't say that you're already immortal, and I will raise him up at the last day. You have eternal life as you study, as you pray, as you meditate, as you have Christ living in you. You have eternal life because Christ's Spirit is in you. But your body will die normally unless you live right up to Christ's coming. But he will then raise you up at the last day. In my, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, notice, abides in me and I in him. So if Christ lives in you and you allow him to live in you, and brethren, all through the Old Testament, especially in some of the New, it shows the people of God were told to seek God. If you seek him with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, he will hear your prayer. He will answer you. He will deliver you. Or to seek the God of heaven. Please learn to do that, my brethren. We don't live in this life forever. You're not going to live here forever. Learn to seek God and seek God even at this feast. During this feast, don't just let things go by. You young people, you want to rush out to this place where they have dancing or they have a beach and you go swimming. It's not wrong, but even during the day and at night, learn to pray in the morning. Pray before you go to bed at night and say at least a brief prayer at noon if you can. David said, evening, morning, and at noon I will seek you. In your heart and mind, walk with God. And remember, you're here at this festival for a special reason, not just to have worldly fun or human fun. It's not all evil, but to have a picture in your mind. You're picturing the kingdom of God. You're picturing the joy and the peace and the unity that we can have in tomorrow's world. You're doing it here before your creator in a special way. Not a normal beach party, not a normal have fun time. It's a time before the God of heaven who gives you, you young people too, he gives you life and breath. Don't think you'll live forever, you won't. I used to be sorry at times about some of the older people who were dying. And then finally, my friend, Richard David Armstrong, Mr. Armstrong's elder son was crushed in a terrible automobile accident. And he died at age 29. Yes, I said 29. He wasn't even 30 years old yet when he died. It made me realize our life is short. We don't all live to be 70 or 80 or 90 or whatever. Our life is short. 
and your life can be cut at any time. Learn to seek God all the time. Seek God, the Creator, during this festival. Rejoice, but rejoice with a purpose and worship God and let Christ live in you and, and try to feed on Christ. How do you do that? Well, you mostly know it, the old four. You study, you drink into this Word, you feed on the Bible, you read it over and over, saturate your mind with it, you meditate on it, think about it, turn it over in your mind and get the picture of how Christ did this and Christ did that. This would be his reaction to this situation and so on. His mind is revealed in his example and the example often of Abraham and other great men and women of God. You find the mind of God revealed in this book. Study it, meditate on it continually. Pray to God all through the day and feed on Christ. And then, of course, you fast from time to time, not just on atonement. Try to fast about once a month if you're in good health, at least once a month, and drink in of God's Word during that time in a special way and have God's mind coming into your mind. And then actively, as you pray all day long, every day, off and on, walk with God, conscious that your hand is in God's hand and that Christ will be living in you. God will be living in you through His Spirit if you ask Him to and if you sincerely try to yield to Him, pray to Him, think about it. I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. I'm God's servant. I will walk with God, talk with God, commune with God, and let Christ live His life in me through the Holy Spirit and use me as a servant to help others to do His work to prepare for His kingdom. Have that concept in you all day long and walk with God, then Christ will live within you. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, you feed on Christ by these things that I've said, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Yes, you will live forever. In verse 63, he said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. These words are spirit. God's Holy Spirit comes through these words. God is giving us His mind, His revelation through this way. These words are spirit and they are life. So let's understand, brethren, and let's realize the magnificence of His Word and how we need to feed on Christ and feed on this Word and let Christ live his life in us because we've filled our minds, our hearts, our lives with the thoughts, with the attitudes of Jesus Christ because we have learned to truly feed on Christ. That's so important. All right, now let's turn, brethren, if you would, to Colossians, the third chapter. Turn with me back to the book of Colossians. And this, of course, is a wonderful part of the Bible, too, in a special way. One of my favorite passages, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul writes here, If then you were raised with Christ, that is, if you have been buried in baptism and you come up as a new creature in Christ, you were raised with Christ, seek, there it is again, seek God, brethren, Walk with God, talk with God, commune with God, give your life to God actively. Seek God. If you're raised with Christ, if you've been truly baptized and buried the old self, then begin to pray, to study, to meditate constantly. Seek those things which are above. I know we like to think about the latest baseball or football score, or the latest movie or television. It's not always wrong, 
but often that stuff is a mixture of good and evil, the thing you're to seek for to think about the kingdom of God. Christ's kingdom is coming. We see the problems in the world. Read the world news, understand it, and realize it's got to be straightened out. He's got to come. He is coming. He will come. Christ is coming soon. And we need to be preparing ourselves to be those kings and priests. We need to strike into this word and realize we can't be those kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God if we don't have Christ living in us. If we don't think we've got to be righteous, we've got to be clean. We've got to use wisdom. We've got to be fair in the way we decide things and the way we treat others. Then we can be those kings and priests under Christ in the world tomorrow. Meditate on those things. Meditate on those things, especially during this festival. You'll be hearing a number of sermons about being kings and priests and what it's all about, about being the leaders in tomorrow's world. Pray about it. Think about it. Meditate about it. Seek those things which are above, not the things on the earth. For you died when you were baptized, brethren. The old self should have died. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is Christ your life? I hope he is. Each one of us has got to give our lives to God where increasingly we reflect Christ. We think about Christ. We want Christ to live his life in us as a living, active thing all day long. When Christ, who is our life, he says, then appears, Christ is going to come back very, very real and very powerfully. When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And God will give you a glorified spirit body where you will shine like the sun. Your body will be a different body. What a magnificent hope that we have. Boy, God is working with us. He has a tremendous calling, something we cannot fully understand. That's why God lets us go through the trials and tests. He does. We have sorrows. We have trials. We have upsets. We have disillusionment sometimes with human beings. We're all human we have sorrow and we have death. Some of us die before Christ comes back. Is that strange? No, that's not strange. That's what happened all the time. God gives us about 70 years. And some die in their 60s and some die in their 70s. And some few of us like myself and others live clear up into their 80s or 90s like Mr. Armstrong did. But we don't all die it's on our 70th birthday. Right, I've been dead over 12 years ago. No, we don't all die At age 70, some die a little sooner, a little later, but about 70 years, and God gives us that. We've got to look forward to the kingdom of God. We've got to look forward to Christ's coming. We've got to look forward to the spirit body he will give us. And when Christ comes back again, we will have a body that will be glorified. And then when he appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You will be resurrected from the dead or instantly made spirit radiating God's glory and God's power and God's wisdom and love and God's magnificence. So, brethren, in this festival, sincerely pray to God, be in a spirit of prayer all day long, try it with all your heart and ask God to help you love one another, love the others. You'll be living in unusual circumstances. Maybe your neighbor will pray the radio too loud or you'll live next to someone who's not in the church and they'll have on a late night TV program. Love other human beings. Forgive them. They're made in the image of God. Love God. Worship God. Walk with God. Spend extra time during this feast praying. You may not study quite as much because you know you'll be hearing sermons and having meetings all day, 
but try to read at least a chapter or two of the Bible each day and pray to God throughout the day and drink in of the meaning of this festival. We are pioneers. We're preparing for the coming feast of ingathering, the time when God will gather together every human being on this earth into his kingdom and into his very family to bear his name forever. Let's think about these things. Let's worship God. We're hurried during this festival at this very special time because God has commanded. God has told us to be here. Pray to him every day and ask him to pour out his spirit on this place and to bless this festival, to inspire the sermons, to inspire the sermonettes, to inspire the music, to inspire the announcements, to inspire our fellowship, to protect his people, to pour out his spirit with us and among us and on his people and on his work on the telecast and the internet and the magazines and all the things in the work, even while we're gone. They go on, ask God's blessing that we can truly prepare for his coming government on this earth and prepare ourselves to be kings and priests under Jesus Christ in tomorrow's world because this festival pictures that very time. So pray for one another. Pray tonight before you go to bed. Pray again in the morning and walk with God in a special way during this festival. Get a good night's sleep, brethren. Pray for one another. And we'll see you here tomorrow morning in the, in the festival of God, in the service of God. Ask God to be with us.